Welcome to the Business Titans podcast, where we talk to titans of industry, world leaders, and game changers. Today, we have a very special guest for you. His name is Stephen Baxter. He's a partner at 1013, Australia's leading venture syndicate with over 200 investors. He has a proven track record as a founder, entrepreneur, and early stage investor. He's built and scaled two successful businesses, SENet and Pipe Networks, and has invested in over 50 companies through his family office and 1013 since 2011. He's also one of the sharks on the Australian TV series, Shark Tank. How are you, Steve? Good, thanks, Oscar. How's yourself? I'm doing really well, thanks. And thank you very much for today. But the first thing I want to talk is not business. I'm hearing through my sources, Steve, that you cook a mean brisket. Is that true? No, I don't know if it's mean. Uh, I cook brisket. Um, I've stuffed up a lot to get to, to be a fair cook of briskets. Briskets are a pretty easy thing to bugger up. So um, I enjoy it. Yeah, I don't cook it often enough, but I do enjoy it. That's for sure. We don't, we don't, our kids don't eat much meat, unfortunately. So when you cook a nine kilo brisket, there's a bit left over. Hey, that's not, that's not a bad thing. And, and look, the only way to get to good brisket is by cooking bad brisket. And would you say that's similar in business as well? Um, yeah, yeah, it's a good point. Interesting analogy, isn't it? Um, yeah, look, you know, you've got to experiment a bit. You've got to try it. Um, you know, if you push the, uh, push the envelope, you're going you're gonna to burn some briskets, that's for sure. <laughs> awesome. Wonderful. Well, look, at the age of 23, you put your life savings of 11,000 on the line to launch your first startup, SENet. What propelled that ambition to go all in and back yourself at such a young age? <clears throat> So at that time, I'd, uh, I was a regular soldier. I was actually a serviceman. I'd been I joined the army at 15 years old. Um, so uh, look, I, I, I'd be lying to say that I had some first recollection of what that was. I, I saw an opportunity. Um, I had started studying computing um, uh, whilst I was in the army. Um, it was pretty nascent back then. Uh, Linux had just come out. Um, it had probably been out from, in the wild for maybe eight months at that point in time. It still came on 140 odd floppy disks for Christ's sake. Floppy disks are these things we used to put inside computers to make them work for all the younger people listening. Um, so, uh, and you know, I worked out. I suppose that uh, for the for the process of you know getting into that as a hobby, that you could you could actually make money from these things and, and run a business and, and sort of gee whiz, that's a good idea. We should try that type idea. So, I mean, it was a very peacetime army at that point in time. We weren't fighting any wars. Um, it was somewhat boring, to be quite honest. I mean, you, you, you don't join the army to sit in barracks, let's face it. So, um, and so I saw this opportunity and I took it. Okay. And so that's the, the non-traditional path, right? So did you have entrepreneurial people around you or what was going on in your, in your world at the time? No, not at all. No, 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 not at all. Uh, I'd um, moved down to Adelaide, South Australia for, um, I was posted down there to an air defence uh, unit. Um, I, um, you know, when, when I think back about the, the amount of mistakes and things we did that could have killed that business, but didn't luckily, um, it's quite amazing. So, now, you know, unlike nowadays where I think that entrepreneurs have a lot of support, there's a lot of information, there's a lot of goodwill to, to assist them. Um, it, it may have been available then. Um, it would have been harder to find because we didn't have things such as the internet. So, but no, I just sort of winged it to be quite blunt. <laughs> and how did it go for you? Were there any moments of you know, absolute fear? Did you have the uncertainty that most people go through? What was what was going on at that time? Um, yeah, very much so. Uh, um, we're quite lucky, you know. Once once it started working, it really really started working. We had, we had problems with how people used to come down and pay us cash because you know credit cards weren't a thing in the mid nineties, if you know what I mean. So if you had them, mm. you still had the little little machines had to run the, 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 the carbon paper over and things like that, if you know what I mean. So, um, so people used to literally drive into our shop and pay us cash. And so, you know, we, we only had like a 
$17,000 limit on um, uh, armed robbery, uh, our insurance policy for armed robbery for cash. So, you know, sometimes we'd have to go to the bank two or three times a day. If you know what I mean, that's how much that's how much money was flowing into that business. It was actually quite that was you know usually closer to the holiday seasons, but it was quite astounding. So we had a lot of good problems there. You know, I learned how to employ staff, I learned how to fire staff. Um, we, I learned a lot about customer service, and, and a lot most businesses could take a leaf. You know, if you if, if you know you, you need need thirty five thousand customers on the on the phone to you right any one time, not any one time, but you need thirty five thousand customers. Uh, our secret was making sure they didn't call us, making sure they never saw a problem, and making sure they had a problem. Or if there was a problem, they didn't see it. Um, that's the easiest way to keep them. And then when you do have a problem, it's computers. Let's face it; they have problems all the time. Um, then you admit it, you get onto it, you you take it on the chest. You just people really respect to the fact that you, you you admit there's a mistake or there's a problem, and you and you commit to fixing it. And, you know, it's customer service is a very very lost art, unfortunately. Yeah, I agree with you. And so in 2001, you launched Pipe Networks and just eight years later, you sold it for a whopping uh, $373 million. What, what are some of the, the lessons you learned from that, Steve? Uh, what Maybe some of the mistakes you made through that process? Um, another great business as well. I, mean, I was co-founder of that business at the same time. So we ended up listing that on the ASX in 2005. So ultimately, I think when we sold, there was about a, a seven, 800 investors in that business through that private, uh, public, excuse me, market process. Um, lessons in that one. Look, um, it, it, there's lots of lessons. Um, you know, once again, I, I think we had, uh, I'm a huge fan of systems and, and with systems you can get a really good, well, I'm a huge fan of quality in, 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 the, in the very much total quality management sense of quality, the, the mid nineties approach to quality, which is you have a repeatable process that gives a level of quality that can be high or low quality as long as it's a repeatable yeah. and, and, and very similar level of quality. So we always set out to do that. So we use systems to leverage. We, we leverage systems in order to uh, get quality and to order, honestly, to employ less people. Because let's face it, that's got to be the goal, right? Um, mm. So um, so the, the big lesson there, again, was, was systems. We had some brilliant systems we put in place. Um, you know, that if you know the GFC six months away, don't don't sort of borrow and, and raise, you know, sort of 40 million bucks to build a submarine cable from Sydney to Guam. That's probably, you know, that was, that would have been a good one to, to know in advance. Um, so, um, you know, so we, we, we fought for the GFC. We, we had our ups and downs, to say the least. Um, big lessons there um, is... Um, Oh, you know, it is it, to me. It's systems. It's, I'm I'm very much more of a systems orientated person. So for me, you know, a good, reliable, dependable, repeatable process. Um, sell something people want would be the, the first one. I mean, we actually got our we actually got our leg up because literally the the the, the players at the time, the the, the UECOMs, which is then subsequently owned by Optus and the Optuses and the Telstras and the the Power Tells, literally get customers would say we want this product being dark fiber, and they would say no, you can't have it. That even goes as far as no, it's illegal. We can't give all the bullshit excuses. Excuse me, well, they couldn't actually provide what the customer wanted. Um, so, and that's what we did. We went out and they said, "Well, dark fire." And we, well, okay, that can't be that hard. Let's go and you know find a way to dig the street up and get access to this and that and get it done. So, um, so that was you know listen listen to customers um, for sure. And, and so, did you spend a lot of your time in front of customers, understanding uh, their pain points and what they want, or do, do you take a more intuitive approach? Where because that's what a lot of entrepreneurs do, right? They they think they know what their customers want, and so they build products and services. A lot of them don't succeed. Do you do you have a different approach to understanding your customers, Steve? Well, back then, I suppose in those businesses. I mean, the, the first business was it was a dial-up ISP. 
there's not much, much to it, right? It was the only way to get access to the internet and, and that was it. So far as we, we did, however, um, I mean, back then we had no, we had no, um, there was no software to do this. And so I, I got my, these businesses started because I wrote the software to, to boot them up and build them. Um, there was no CRMs, there was no ticketing system. There was no, there's almost nothing. So we had to build this stuff. And, and as a result, we, we built something highly customized and we, we managed through that process and through particularly the tech support process, talk to customers. Every time there was an interaction with one of our tech support staff and they got a survey saying what happened, you know, why was this, why was that? So, um, so yeah, very much talking to customers, but you know, this is, and for those who, who've used dial-up internet know how, how sporadic and faulty it was. It, as a technology, it was designed to be faulty, I think, to be honest. So it was really hard to make work well. Um, with respect to um, pipe networks, we had, you know, we had sort of, uh, we had probably three main product lines, I've got to have a big bank, or probably four in the end. Um, so the initial internet peering service, and, and I was the customer, I suppose, of, of that one. I used to use that service for my first business, and I knew that there was a big opportunity there, and we saw there was a big opportunity there. And, and we, so we, we had a visceral approach to that product. We, we, we knew we needed it. We knew that our peers and our previous businesses wanted it. Uh, the dark fiber was something very similar as well. We just knew, knew its value. Uh, data centers, it was sort of these, a lot of these products flowed naturally. Their customers came to us and said, oh, also, can you do this? And we said, yeah, cool. And one customer once, Greg from INET came to us and said, you know, it's, it's a shame you guys can't build a submarine cable from, from Sydney to the US. And we went, oh, how far is that? And literally pulled out Google Earth and went, oh, it's 14,000 kilometers. That's a bit far, but Guam's only 9,600. Let's, let's, let's build one into Guam instead. So um, uh, I forgot what question I'm answering. Um, Oscar, sorry. About the, the how you understand, like how do you viscerally understand the customer's to talk to so them. that you can to, to be quite yeah. blunt talk to them I mean we're lucky we you know in, 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 in our first business we had like in a, tens of thousands in our second business part we would have had in the hundreds um but you talk to them you have um you know we implemented a crm at the pipe networks in the second business um in order to and the large reason we did that was to track our sales team which makes a lot of sense that's what crms do and the bloody product is called salesforce so you think it would make sense but literally it's and then we didn't uh, with respect to sales incentive plans so, you know, our salespeople and our account managers had to have coffees with X many coffees per week, per month with customers. I had to record it in there, had to get the receipt. Otherwise, you don't get your bonus that month. That simple. You go out and talk to customers. You know, for God's sake, when you talk to them, they want to buy something from you, you get more, you'll get more bonus. So, um, um, so talking, talking to customers, treating them, um, treating people with respect, treating them as, as, um, as valued people that you listen to, um, you know, when things go wrong, you, you fix it, you admit, you don't, you don't sort of you know, defer and carry on like you see nowadays. Um, just talk yeah. to customers and listen to them. They're not always right. In fact, they're, they're quite, at times quite painful, but you still got to talk to them and listen to them. Yeah, absolutely. And there's always this misnomer, you know, is the customer always right or, or are they sometimes wrong? And I think, I think you're right there and that sometimes they are actually wrong. Sometimes they don't actually know what they want. No, no, I mean, I think, yeah, you're right there. So my first business, I mean, I have three, I've had three businesses. I've got this current, our current investment business. That's, that's a real business as well. Um, so, you know, the first one we had like, ended up having uh, 35 on 36,000 uh, customers and, you know, it's hard to listen to them. And, and consumers are the biggest complainers ever. And literally like the things that people complain about, that would spend an hour on the phone and you try and get a dollar off something, you know, it's just, just terrible. Um, but even then, once again, systems-based, um, we you know, dial-up internet was really hard and really quite error-prone, and we every last 
piece of um, uh, telemetry or, or information that our servers and equipment would give us, we got, we cataloged against the use. So we could tell what when a user was going to call us because we knew they had problems. Mm. So our idea, so we had 36,000 customers. We had six tech support telephone lines. So imagine that nowadays. Um, that doesn't happen, right? We just, we, we, a, we made sure things didn't break. When, when they rang us and we found out who they were, we could tell them, we, we knew instinctively, or, or excuse me, we knew um, in a systematic way, just, systematic way what was actually wrong because we've the data has been analyzed run some programs yet they're having line connection problems this is it they've got to turn this down and that down so you know get, get the customer for fast uh, off the line as fast as you can um so uh um yeah listen to customers um and so are the customers always right in our current business we have you know 230 odd um uh very wealthy people and organizations essentially um, who, who you know follow us into investments? So um, we charge. You know, we charge a fee. So therefore, you know, we we I always impress on people and, and staff in our business at the moment that yes, they're investing, but they're also customers because the distinction is they pay us money. So yes, whilst they may be investing, um, uh, they they literally they, we charge them a fee. So therefore, we call them customers. And it's, it's an important. It's a mindset shift you've actually got to have. To be quite honest. Um, yeah. Anything else sounds a bit too clubby as far as I'm concerned. Um, they're customers and you treat them as such. So once again, talk to them. We have, you know, information we make available through portals. We get out there and we we used to do a lot more of this. We used to do a lot of um, uh, social outreach and, you know, uh, drinks and dinners and all the rest of it. It's been a bit hard in the last 18 months for some reason. Um, but we're slowly getting back into that now. We had an investment, you know, a couple of weeks ago for 130 people. We missed the lockdown by a couple of days. Uh, we're in Melbourne three weeks before that. Missed the lockdown by a couple of days. We're just and, and we've got one plane in Sydney mid August, and we're like, you know, I figure our crazy, our batshit crazy premier up here. Excuse me, she, you know, she'll probably need at least two weeks of Sydney not having a, I don't know, a single sniffle before she'll let us come back from Sydney unquarantined. I'd imagine. <laughs> so, um, oh, they're all mad, aren't they? They just, they just mad as a pack of mad as cut snakes. They really are. Yeah. I'm hearing some uh, crazy stories from people that have come to Sydney, then back to hometown, with uh, military checking even for 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 making sure that they're actually um, in lockdown. But uh, yeah, it, it is it is a crazy time at the moment, Steve. So with your, I mean, you've got a lot of investors that that walk into investments with you. What is it that you're looking for that really determines whether someone's going to make it, whether they're going to fail, and and how do they really, you know, how do you how do you go about increasing the value of these companies? So uh, we invest in early stage uh, tech startups, which is you know, absolutely empty words. What's early stage and what's tech startup? What's tech and what's startup? And so there's probably three categories in there. So early stage for us, we started early stage, um, is uh, you know, defined um, as, you know, I suppose, where some of the first serious money that goes into a business. So we're sort of post angel. Um, a lot of people call us angel investors. I don't like the term angel. I just think it, it gives the impression we have some magical powers and it, it, it feels uncomfortable because it feels like we can do something we can't. So um, we're early stage yeah. investors. Um, we invest anywhere from 300,000. The lowest we've done is, is about 250 grand uh, up to about a mil uh, in an early stage round. Uh, early stage rounds nowadays are anywhere from $500,000 to $2.5 million. So, um, so we get in there as early as we can. We try and find the, the good companies with the good companies. We try and find the good teams um, in spaces that we like. You know, we, we, we like a lot of things. Um, and, and we then try and, you know, stay with them on that journey and, and increase the value through a variety of means. One of the ways we increase value is we have 230 investors in our network. 
um, some of the, you know, some amazing people have done just incredible things, you know. So we can we can bring that network to bear um, for the assistance of the portfolio. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, uh, another point which I've lost, sorry, Oscar. Um, well, lost, sorry. What are we talking about again? Okay. <laughs> I feel like Joe Biden. I'm lost. <laughs> <laughs> that's gold. No, we're just talking about the, the, the increasing the value of a company. So one of the things is plugging them into the investment network, but money alone isn't enough to, enough to grow businesses, Steve. I mean, you know, you can give someone a million bucks and they can waste it quickly. So so what is it that, you know, aside from money that you're looking for? You, you mentioned great teams uh, and I love that you've broken down into definitions. What is tech? What is What, what does a great team mean to you? What, what are you really looking for? Well, the other thing I like, to, I like to highlight is we don't use the term give. If, if people are coming to us because they want us to give them money, I give my kids money so they can spend it down the shops, right? If that's what they're after, go, go talk to Santa Claus. Um, because it, it sets the wrong example for what we do. And the example is the fact that, you know, that when, you, when you actually go out to raise money for your business, it's actually the hardest enterprise sale you'll ever undertake. You're actually out there selling equity um, in, in your business. And whilst you're not selling that equity, Whilst you're selling that equity, excuse me, you're not selling your thing, your widgets or your services. So basically your business suffers while you're doing it. So the longer it goes, the longer your business will suffer, and the worse it will look and the less value it will look to an investor. So um, and if you treat it as a sale, you'll also potentially take a sales mentality to it. So you might use some tools to assist you. You'll use a bit more analytics. If you have the term give and gift, then it's just, it's something that drives me a bit nuts, to be honest. So um the other one I'd say is tech. When people sort of say, what is tech? For us, tech is anything that can rapidly scale around the world with great margins. Um, so that, you know, that's like a uh, duh, type, type comment. But, um, you know, if you can wrap it, cook it, ship it, franchise it, it's probably not us. You know, if you can smell it, it's probably not us. You know? So yeah. um, we, we really like software. And in that, we then really like... Um, uh, so there's my kids on the beach, sorry. Um, we really like sure. easy software. So, you know, the easy software is API software, you know, or can be API-based businesses where you're at this layer, uh, a really low-cost layer that sort of businesses can't, it's very hard to dis, uh, disintermediate and, and sort of sit in the middle of someone else's business and someone else's process. Um, we, um, you know, otherwise there's, there's things like, um, you know, software as a service in general. Uh, we like companies that have, have got to the, where they were through some sort of product-led growth. Um, uh, E-commerce is a favourite, you know, tools that support entrepreneurs are, are, are favourites of ours as well. So uh, fintech um, in Africa, for some reason, we're doing a lot in Africa at the moment, which is, I find that a bit crazy. But um, I shouldn't say crazy, so I never thought I would have done it when we started this. So, hmm. um, so what else do we add other than money, I think, is what you're saying there. Is that right? Yeah, it's, it's not just that. It's, it's what... What can business owners do to add value to their to, to their business? What how should their business look when they present it to someone like yourself? What 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 what, what yeah, are okay. the key hallmarks you're looking for? Yeah, so honestly, what we're looking for is great. I mean, okay, so we 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 have funded some business that what they call pre seed or pre revenue, or what I call post idea. Um, so we've done a couple <laughs> where it's like we were smart, and that's a big problem. Hmm, here's, here's some money. Go and let's go let's go see what happens. That's pretty rare, but we do we do do that. Um, for the most part, bring bring us traction. So there's a whole thing that we want to see. We want to see the team. We want to see your vision. And you know, in some respects, we're venture investors. So the bigger the vision, the more excited. The bigger, the crazier, madder the vision, the more excited we get. Depending, you know, if it's rationally mad, if there's such a concept as rationally mad, 
Um, so, um, but if you've actually if you've actually been in business and you've got traction, come and come and show us your traction. You know, it's it's. You know, I, I love the number seventy two. The number seventy two is a beautiful number. You know, it's come and say you're growing it. You're growing at six percent a month. Are you got you're doubling every year? You divide six into seventy two, you get twelve. Twelve months every twelve months, you can double your business. So you know, we see businesses that you know that, that grow 10, 12, 15, 20 percent a month. So which means they double every sort of three and a half, four months, if you know what I mean, at the top end of that. So tell us, tell us, you know, tell us what you got. So if you've got some traction, let's have a look at that. Okay, why is it good? Because you got, if you got sitting there and you've been, you've had no growth in the last twelve months, you're probably not going to excite us. Unless there's mm. a, something fundamental you've discovered or something fundamental you've actually implemented. Um, so we, we always, you know, we'll never back a bad team. Um, as soon as you tell us a lie, you're done. In fact, we'll tell everyone else you lied to us as well. So you're doubled up. Um, uh, we, we like the big visions. You know, uh, we're a certain type of investor. So we're, you know, we're, we're high growth level potential, good margins. So don't bring a motor company to us. That's just not going to get you anywhere. Um, other things that they can do, um, yeah. So it's about the vision, the team, uh, and if they've got, if, if they've been operating, and then, then what's their what's their growth being, what's it doing? No, I, I talk about vision a lot, but why, why do you think? Because you've said a, a, a less than a handful of things that are important, but why why is vision important, Steve? It's important. Well, you have to know where you're going. Why is vision important? Um, you don't want to fall over, I suppose, do you? No, you have to know where you're going. You can't. If you haven't got a vision or a Oh well, everyone's got a vision. It comes down to the size of the vision. Everyone, everyone knows where they're going to some degree. It's just how, how big is that and what horizon have you set yourself? And actually, uh, Glenn Richards, who I met through Shark Tank, um, he, he's got a wonderful golfing analogy where you know his golf pro keeps telling him to to to, to look at the clouds, not a, don't look at the tee, or don't look at the flag. Excuse me, but look at the um, look at the clouds. And if you look at the clouds and hit towards the clouds, you go further. So it's about elevating elevating that vision. I think and the human spirit. We do better with big goals. That's why, you know, if we have these we have these terms like what's your North Star? I mean, you know what I mean? And your head's in the clouds and things like this. I mean, it, it's all about high, expansive, you know, um, big, tall goals, I suppose. Mm. And I guess, you know, a lot of a lot of entrepreneurs or at least small entrepreneurs or, or even, you know, the ones that have the ideas, the ones that want to change the world, the ones that are movers and shakers uh, can sometimes have a small vision for whatever reason. What, what do you think people can do to really expand their vision, look to the clouds and, and really start to, to aim higher, Steve? At one point in time, I would have said travel. <laughs> yeah. So I probably, I probably will still say travel. Um, wow. It always expands, it always expands. Go and talk, network, network, talk, chat. You, you need to be doing lots of that. Um, you can read books and all the rest of it or listen to books nowadays, whatever your, whatever your poison is. Um, so, but that's more of a technical thing, I would think. But you need to, you need to be inspired. So you need to go and meet people who've done bigger things and and understand. Get 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 at least near their orbits, if not in their orbits, for a little bit and um and pull pull apart what they've done. Uh, understand that you be careful in this space. There's so many bullshit artists. They're literally, you know, I've been to these things where people quote Dalai Lama and Richard Branson, like, oh, get over it. Yeah, yeah, we can all read the same quotes. You know, there are people who've run a milk run and not very successfully and they're, they're out giving inspirational startup tours and you're just like and so what i'd say to people as well is understand who you're talking to you know when i when i was a little bit of speaking and stuff I, I'd, I'd make a point of telling people my background but there's no point unless you can filter unless you can filter what i say with what i've done you're not getting as much value so um that and there's a just there's just some absolute White sand shoe mobs out there who just, they're horrible. So, 
Yeah, absolutely. And I think the the world is 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 full of that, unfortunately. Uh, and you see these things like during during times of hardship, like what we're suffering at the moment, things like cybercrime and and fraud all go up, right? So it's like when when the world's in trouble, a lot of those bad actors start to come out and do even more because they see it as an opportunity. The thing is, they're hard to spot. I mean, there's half a dozen in Australia who drive me insane. They're the, they're the, they're the people who sort of hang around the co-working spaces and accelerators and they're forever they've never really had a business if you know what i mean and and, and literally they can they can they can they can repeat podcasts and they can repeat cool things from andreessen horowitz and all the rest of it if you know and it's like no oh, whatever so but and they're hard to spot because they, they sound genuine as hell they really do they, they sound like my god you sound and you look at them you just go you've actually done nothing right so um which is not to say their advice isn't helpful but i mean it's not it's not genuine. <laughs> it's not yeah. advice. It's, it's repeating someone else's advice. So, yeah. so you so it sounds like you're saying experience is really important. Well, so I know who you're talking to. I mean, you know, if yeah. you sat there and sort of heard me, you know, heard heard someone give advice and say, "Well, by the way, all I've done is graduate high school and finish university, then I work for public service." Well, I'm going to give you this amazingly expansive entrepreneurial advice. I'm like, from what perspective? Um. You have to know that you have to understand who his who you're talking to. We don't do it enough now. We, I mean, we've probably there's, there's a lot going on at the moment that 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 doesn't augur well for the future with respect to how people are conducting themselves. That's for sure. Um, yeah. But we, we we don't tend to um, examine uh, honestly people um, and their intentions. Their intentions are pretty bloody bad, and a lot of stuff that's going on. So, and always, always. And if you've, if you've been in a successful small business, you know, I, I used to think I was in a small business back in my first business. Then I found out I was a startup and it was all this sort of cool stuff, right? You know, um, everyone turns out, I'm naturally um, quite wary. People turn up your door, literally just trying to suck your bus off your success. They, yeah. they want to get in, they want to get in there and they, they, they just have all these credentials they pull out and they just, and you, so when, when you see, you start seeing a lot of it, if you see enough of it, you're just like, yeah, look, no, no. You, and as soon as someone comes in, I had one the other day, no, last week, I think it was, yeah. And it's just your hair's down and end and you just, you know, you just don't want to, don't want to give an inch. It's like, yeah, no, no, you know. So, um, and, and I sort of get it from their perspective. Maybe they're trying to get a start and do something, but I've just seen, you know, I've seen it done inappropriately. I've had it done to me inappropriately as well. So Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think, you know, that's something that happens as you as you start to attract more success you get a lot of that uh a lot of that stuff happening to you and that's why you got to keep focused right on on your vision uh, on elevating that vision getting around people that can help you expand that vision uh, i found that to be so important especially from an from an environmental perspective that your environment can create your success now you're you're huge on numbers steve but not every entrepreneur is is numbers oriented maybe they're on the more creative side more right brain side if you saw uh, a CEO that was running a, a company had good track record, but he didn't know his numbers. Would that set you off straight away, or would you be a bit forgiving of that? Well, it depends. It depends what they didn't know with his numbers, if you know what I mean. So, um, when I say the numbers, you know, if you don't know what you're spending every month or how much is in your bank account, then you're a CEO. You, you, you probably don't get banned as being a director in the next three or four years with that sort of behaviour. If you know what I mean, it's it's not going to finish well. Um, so. A lot of the businesses we invest in, things move quite readily. And I always say that, oh, it's probably funny when we get like, you know, we get people's plans and budgets and forecasts. And there's only one thing you can forecast correctly, and that's your expenses. Right? Because everyone always screws up forecasting revenue. 
but if when you can't even forecast your expenses are on well in that exciting so um there's no part you're running a business i mean for all the all the talk about you know creative types entrepreneurs if you want to be the leader of that business you, you've got to be the leader of that business and the, the business is there to generate profit for shareholders for as dirty as that might sound nowadays it, that's actually what it's there for because you get a lot of there's a culture out there now about i suppose about the good it can do and you know the the, the various you know businesses that are, are going to be these you know massive cultural icons going forward and you know some of the things you hear it's like end of the day especially if you've got especially external investors you've got to turn a dollar for them it's the reason you're there so um don't like that then don't get investors don't i mean don't like that don't get into business to be quite honest yeah absolutely and what are the other numbers steve that people should be really focused on that you think uh, are needle movers and things that make a material difference the other numbers um as in business numbers yeah so well there's lots of depends on what sort of business you've got i mean there's all sorts of you know really cool funky sort of ways to describe metrics nowadays ltvs and cacs and god knows what else the ones the ones i hate though but we have a term you probably heard called cash burn I mean, yeah, cash the, burn, the yeah. fact the fact that the fact that a term exists that talks about the burning of money is just dreadful isn't it um other dreadful ones that but but uh, have some utility and, and are very well have they, they have they're well used and have some utility um is um arr so you would have heard of arr yeah. and your recurring revenue so you take last month's recurring revenue times it by 12 and dream yeah. that's what you're going to do over the next 12 months um it's not profit. It's not anything like that. It's not. No, it's not even revenue recognition for cross sakes. Um, <laughs> so um, it's it's a funny one. Um, so cash burn ARR. So you know when when you want to excite an investor, um, knowing the the levers that drive the businesses. That's what we look for. You know, if, if, yeah. if, we're, if we're going to get down and do it, looking at financial models, which will be you know we'll build our own a lot of time, and then we'll get ones from the, the people pitching us. Um, in order to understand and more importantly to, to understand if they understand what drives our business so we need to know you know what are the key things that you're going to do uh are they ch- is it channel based or is it you know is it more direct to consumer or you know what are the what are the ways you're going to drive wh- whatever you need to actually pull that success out um excuse me let's get rid of that there you go sounds like you got dial-up happening there uh, it's, it's, a, it's a it's a ringtone it's a, it's a good ringtone i made some money out of dial-up awesome. modems so um um, so forgot where I was at again. So I'm a bit forgetful today. We're talking ARR numbers, MRR, which are numbers I love, by the way. And, and I, it surprises me how many business owners don't know their MRR, ARR, you know, ca- expenses or cash burn. Um, yeah. So I think that's, I think that's good. Um, look, I want to be respectful of your time, Steve. Is there anything that I should have asked you that I didn't ask you? No, not at all. I mean, I, I thought we had an hour, but that's okay. Um, oh, do we? Uh, okay. We can keep going. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Uh, I don't know. What do you want to know? Well, okay. So, look, I, I, I love this notion of, you know, Silicon Valley, a lot of investment, um, sorry, not investment, a lot of innovation comes out of putting great minds together. Uh, when you pair things like money, education, and corporation, you get a lot of good things happening. I see Australia doing a very similar thing. What, what do you think Australia needs to do, or the people listening to this, or the entrepreneurs that, that are out there? What do we really need to do to make Australia stand out above the rest of the world? Well, I don't think it's up to entrepreneurs to do anything for Australia, to be quite honest. Um, if you're that way minded, have a successful business. Um, don't be don't, don't be an asshole to your staff or your customers or other people, and you're probably going to do it right. I mean, that you know, it, it's 
doing the right thing in business is pretty easy. Don't be an asshole. So, um, uh, so, but I don't think I don't think it's beholden entrepreneurs to, to to improve that. If we encourage enough entrepreneurs to to, then we'll we'll improve improve that equation. And I've did a lot of so I was Queensland chief entrepreneur for a while, and you know, which is why I'm just 100 thoroughly sick and tired of government because I got to see it a bit too closely. Um, so. And it's always, and you see it in the community now, there's the same people I was detesting before about the ones who haven't really done anything and just hang around the edge and sort of trying to suck your bus off people. But the ones out there who, who beat their chest and saying that we should do more R&D tax credits or we should be given more more freebies to startups, we want more grant money, for example. I'm like, oh, God, it's like you're trying to damn us. You literally are trying to damn us. What we need is for it to be really easy to start a business, um, to have less regulation. And that's it. I mean, there's, there's very few things that, that, that government can actually positively um, um, encourage, I suppose, but literally giving away R&D money, which mostly goes to the goddamn university sector, excuse me, which has been an absolute sinkhole of just wasted opportunity for the last 35 years in this country. I mean, I'll, I'll, I can repeat, you, I'll repeat that. If we, we don't participate in investments that have a university attachment to them at all, um, it's not an indicator for success. In fact, it's opposite, to be honest. So, wow. and there are ones that have succeeded, but we talk about, you know, we, you know we, there are there are ones that have succeeded. Don't get me wrong, I know that. But you know, if you look at the population, you wouldn't make that bet, right? You, you, sometimes a fat jockey wins, but you don't bet on them, right? So, um, uh, so you know, what, what we need is um, we need less regulation. So we need things like we need ESOPs. We need just for Christ's sakes, they, these startups for God. I mean, and the one 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 good thing, I suppose, in that respect, that Malcolm Turnbull did, and I'm, I'm not a also, I'm, I'm on that side of politics. I'm not a huge fan of, of, of him. Um, one good thing he did at, at, with the NISA program was all the non-monetary stuff. I mean, there was $2 billion worth of lollies to universities in that goddamn thing, for Christ's sake. So everyone was really happy about that. And there was female programs for this and female programs. But they've all gone now. Fancy that. Um, but the, the one good thing he did was the, um, uh, the set of regulations, the Corporations Act regulations, where we're taking our, our environment closer to like a Chapter 11 type environment. So... Uh, ipso facto, uh, direct to safe harbour, and a couple of other bits and pieces that literally, you know, when you have a business failure, that you can tidy up, pay creditors, get out of the penalty box faster and get back into business because you've just had one hell of an MBA there, right? And we, we yeah. don't need you skulking in the corner. We don't need you being punitively dealt with by, by Australian society. We need your experience back in the game because you're probably not going to screw it up the second time, right? Which is really yeah. important. So, um, and so what we need to do is we need a set of regulations that make um, running a business easier, that makes, you know, for example, um, uh, employee option plans, it makes that really easy and cheap and not punitive because it's still, it's improved. Um, but there's, there's still a lot of uh, hassles around that. A lot of issues you've got to sort of tiptoe through. And I mean, what, what, what Gillard and Rudd did there when they destroyed that back in 2007 was criminal, to be honest. And, you know, it took a, it took a conservative government to, 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 to unwind it, essentially. And it's still not good. It's better than what it was. So... Remove regulation, make ESOPs easy. But you know, these things are startups. These people who work in these things want to receive potentially stock that's most likely going to be valueless because most of these things don't work right. Um, and so, you know, yeah. you can invest money into these things and, and the, the investment can go to employ more people. It'll take less money because they're getting this mythical stock, which I think will be worth something one day. And ho hopefully it will be. Um, so make that easier. You know, remove regulations. We're a highly regulated economy. We just, excuse me, we're a lot, we're, we, we are still pretty highly regulated economy um you know i point to one sector i point to the pharmacy sector uh i point to the um you know we, we need to dis dismantle the pharmacy monopoly that'd be a good start 
we need to um, just through the COVID thing where, um, you know, for a while there, we didn't need wedding signatures for most documents, for example. Um, that that um, lapsed as of March 13 because some poor lady was sexually assaulted in, in, in Parliament House in Canberra. They, they lost the opportunity to, and the opposition didn't let them progress this piece of legislation to, to cement that back in permanently. So now we're going to do wedding signatures again for cross oaks. And we actually, we'd, we have to shuffle documents around by period in this country. It's a small thing. But if I can't even get that right, if you know what I mean. So, and that, you know, that, that they just saw a piece of political mongrel and they went after it. So to make, make business easier. So we don't need, we don't need lollies. What we, what we need is the stupid stuff to go. So re re remove the stupid regulation that um, um, prevents competition. Um, once again, in COVID, once again, so we now all of a sudden we can, we can um, visit a doctor via Zoom. We can sit there and have a, you know, for an appropriate consultation, we can, we can Zoom into a doctor and or whatever system you use and, you know, you can have that and they can give you the script via an email or whatever and off you go and get your medicine on. That's still not law yet. I mean, so we, we, we've seen that that's still not permanent, I should say. We've seen lots of pictures for businesses taking advantage of that space, but right now they, they refuse to say that post-COVID that will remain in place. How fucking stupid is that? And honestly, with the yeah. number of doctors and pharmacists in that goddamn parlour, I, I reckon I'll reverse it, to be quite honest. I've got, I'm cynical. I've got, I've, got no, I've got no faith I'll do the right thing. So um, entrepreneurs have to do nothing. You know, the people who are holding us back have to do everything. They need, they need to get the hell out of the way. They need to let us... Uh, improve solutions and, and, and get, get things done. Yeah, and I, I love that notion as well, because that's where you see a lot of that innovation come through where they're, where they're fringing on, is this, like you look at Uber, right? Uh, fringing on, is it regulated? Is it unregulated? What are we doing here? It, it creates opportunity, yeah, uh, but, but yeah, then Uber, the government Uber has to also, react. Uber was also a brute force attack on the law. I, I, don't, I don't quite agree <laughs> with brute force attacking the law, right, to be quite honest. Um, <laughs> Uh, the tax industry had it coming, uh, lined up in King Hill. I'm glad. I, I don't care if all taxis go. Once again, a regulated monopoly, if you know what yeah. I mean. If, if they were smart, they would have seen the right on the wall and they would have put all the features in the Uber app into their, into their taxi business and they would have far less issues, right? But they, they yeah. still haven't got half that stuff, for Christ's sakes. I mean, talk about, just talk about recalcitrant. Holy hell. So that, they don't deserve my money. But when you have regulation, you have government forcing a commercial solution on you, basically the government, the government is basically robbing you to pay someone to guarantee a job and mm. you get no choice on who to use. I mean, it's I'm a libertarian, as you can tell, I'm a libertarian as well, right? But um, um, it, it is ridiculous. So let, let the free market have far greater say than it currently does in, in almost all areas. Yeah, for sure. I agree with that. There's, there's the other side of the coin as well, Steve, where regulation does... Uh, so you, you look at things like uh, money laundering or counter-terrorist financing, the, these sorts of things, right? Regulation can play a role in, in, in really helping that. So how does the, how does the government really, how, how do you really start to balance this out in, in terms of you know, getting rid of regulation, just letting the free and open marketplace go versus, hey, how do we, how do we protect the, the consumer on the end of this from bad people? Well, I don't think um, any money laundering and, and counterterrorism funding, AML, CTF, which we do in our business a lot, has anything to do with the consumer for a start. Um, unless they're being blown up by the terrorists at the end, okay? Um, it, it's honestly, okay, so here's the other problem with regulation. It degrades into a box-ticking exercise. Literally, we, yeah. we just tick boxes. There's, there's no value. There's, half the stuff, there's no value in it. There's honestly no value in it. And do you know who loves regulation the most? Who do you think loves regulation the most? The regulators. <laughs> Bigger business. Big business loves regulation. They can, they can afford to staff a $5 million a year regular, like regulatory 
compliance organization. The startup who might have like 200 grand from someone like me can't do that, right? Mm. So the more regulation you put into a system, the less you encourage entrepreneurship. Now there is a balance there. You know, I don't, I don't, I'm not saying that, you know, we should have private police forces or anything silly like that. So there is a balance. I'm not, I'm not a, I'm not a, an anarchist in some, to some degree, right? You take that to its, to its, you know, its, its end conclusion. But um, I see very little value in AML CTF. I really do. I think it's there's there's some there's some crazy crazy shit in there, and, and you know, and, and the enforcement of it's interesting. If you've ever gone through that process or had to enact that process, it's really you know it's 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 self regulatory box ticking. And what, now we take it very seriously. Holy shit, ASIC, if you're watching this, um, it's not ASIC. It's another, it's the um, I can't the name now. It's another another organisation. We take it very seriously. We we have dedicated staff who do it. It's 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 a massive point of friction for us and our customers, or for our customers and us, I suppose. Yeah. So um, so that is one example. Um, is yeah, I'm not too sure it's delivering. And you look at look at the what happened with Westpac and stuff. You know what I mean? All the the, the way it was being the way it was being used and abused. I mean, so all of us little guys are, are spending, oh, you know, golly, you know, maybe what. 10, 20% of our expense base goes in AML CTF. The biggest guys, maybe two or three percent of their expense base goes in, and they still get it wrong. Right. But um, they said that they don't really care. But the more regulation they're happy with because it basically jacks up the barrier to entry. And they love that. If we were serious, we'd get rid of the barriers to entry. We'd, we'd get rid of um, in the banking space and all these spaces, we'd just get rid of barriers to entry. If you want to improve the behavior of a large corporation executive and management team, or we saw with the banking inquiry, the threats of jail doesn't seem to deter them, right? You want to really, you want to really affect their behaviour, take away their profit and their revenue, right? So the way you take away their profit and revenue is with competition. So the more you introduce competition, the more their behaviour will change. Now we've amped up regulation, amped up regulation, and for some reason corporate behaviour doesn't change. We can keep doing the same thing. We should keep doing the same thing and keep having it fail and keep having it fail and wonder why it failed. Or we can say, well, you guys aren't doing a good job. We're going to make it really easy to compete with you, not easier to compete with you. So um, that will actually, in time, I think, get a better consumer outcome than just more shiny bum public servants doing tick box, you know, box, tick, ticking boxes and, and regulations. Yeah, yeah. I, th- I think there's some really powerful insights, Steve. That that because one of the things is, you know, when you're turning a company around, is is that culture, is that is that behaviour. What else can somebody do to really improve the culture within their business? If they're at a, in a senior position, they're sensing that, look, they want to grow, but maybe the culture's not as, as strong as it could be. What can these leaders do to really enforce, well, not enforce, but, but contribute to a positive culture that's going to lead to a better outcome for the consumer? So um, I made some comments before about, you know, don't, don't rip off your customers, your staff and the community in general, right? I mean, being an, you know, I, I think a lot of examples have to come from the top down. Um, lots of sayings there, the fish watch from the head, et cetera, et cetera. So, um, you know, I, I think if you're not leading uh, appropriately, now that's the throwaway line. We probably should get more more specific um, specific in that. It's a bit harder nowadays as well. I mean, with culture, I mean, there's a, there's a lot of, depends on how, where you take culture, but there's a lot of expectation in, 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 in younger workforces about just what working means. All the time, it doesn't mean working. There's lots of free food and bean bags and whatever junk that 
people want to give them, excuse me. Pinball machines. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, pinball machines. So, look, you know, I, I don't think you should be forced to sit on barbed wire at your desk. Um, but at the end of the day, once, you know, you are there to do something. And I, I get an immense amount of satisfaction from, from working on I, I think it's, you know, for me, a good culture would be where someone does work and knows being valued. So, you know, if you get to work in the morning, 8.39, whatever it is, let's say you work 9 to 5, you get to work at 9, you look up at 5 to 5 and go, oh, got to go home. Holy hell, I've had a great day. I mean, to me, that is you've been fulfilled. You're not doing busy work. You're, you're, you're contributing, I suppose, at the same time. So with that goes internal communications. It goes, you know, the, the people, in some respects, buying into the processes and, and what the company's trying to achieve. So there's lots of good frameworks nowadays. You know, there's lots of, you know, um, what was the book called where the OKRs came out again? What was that called again? Um, um, uh, the, the book that introduced OKRs. Um, oh, I can't remember now. Um, no, anyway, whatever the book's called. So there's a lot of really good ways to, to I suppose, um, d- devolve down priorities um, and, and understand how they're being actually actioned and how they're, how they're working or not. So um, hell's that? that's, got me, that's got me nuts now. I was talking about the other day to someone. John, John, John Dewar's OKRs. Uh, it, yeah, it's called something else, isn't it? It's called um, OKR book. What's it called again? It's called... Uh, measure what matters. There you go. Yeah, what matters. Um, yeah, John. Dewar. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so there's lots of good frameworks out there to use. So that there's no, there should be no, there's no discovery. There's not as much discovery required. You can't, you know, not, not, not every business is, 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 is identical. Um, you have to fit things into to, to make things fit between uh, varying businesses, localities. You know, um, actual cultures as opposed to you know, you know, if you're in Brazil versus Australia, there's differences. So, um, but yeah, start from the top down. Uh, empower people, um, give them, um, give them valued work. Great. Well, let's 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 shift gears a little bit and talk about marketing. Something that's uh, dear to my heart. What what in your opinion? What what is marketing? How do people do it effectively? How do they disseminate their message? Is it you know? Is it feelings and emotions, or is it you know direct selling? It's a broad question, but would love to hear your take on it. Yeah. Um. I'm, I'm, I'm probably of all the areas of business about exposure, is probably this is the the, the least I've, I've got to offer. Um, uh, so I'll frame it with that because I don't want people sort of bullshitting. So as I've sort of said before, so um, um, I, what do people want? Look, I've been somewhat lucky in that in that in the businesses I've run, we had a, 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 an easy to define customer base. Uh, and there was very few limited, there's very limited ways you access them. It was typically the Saturday paper in Adelaide, to be quite honest. Um, with our business and pipe networks, we knew exactly how to access our customer base. We used to lay a fiber cable in front of their buildings. So we'd walk in there, look at the tenancy board and then start marketing to them. So, you know, knowing your customers, knowing your product, knowing, knowing the drivers for that is, is somewhat important. In other businesses we've invested in, there's a variety of different ways that those businesses get their product into the, into the hands. Now, there's the phrases as well. You know, we, 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 if we have a lot of a company, it's, if we own a lot of a company's percentage, it might be 10%. I think an average ownership percentage would be a couple of points, maybe one to, you know, one to three points type thing, right? So, yeah. and we've got a couple of sixes and sevens, I think an eight in there somewhere as well. So it's not much. So my, my point being there is that you, you, you don't get pulled when you own 1% of a company, you don't get pulled around the ball table for your advice, right? You're somewhat of a hindrance in some respects. Um, we do get updates in our briefings. We understand how their market penetration is going and we, we try and deploy our, our, our syndicate 
into those businesses as, as much as they wanted, I suppose, because you can't, you know, you can't force a horse to drink, as they say. So um, um, with businesses, you know, in the online space in particular, we don't we don't have a great deal of traditional mass market communications. It's more you know, online, everyone does nowadays. Um, uh, we have businesses with a variety of ways that have, you know, very hands-on sort of um, uh, okay, sort of sales processes where they, you know, they'll, they'll churn out leads so that, that, you know, very much um, regimented, I suppose, parts of their business. Okay, these guys go to, they, they, they farm up the lead, this guy does the whole account management, this one does upsell the whole thing. So, uh, and there's lots of good frameworks for that now as well in order to, to, to measure progress and, and to see where your pipeline's stalling. Um, so my, no, I'm not the best one to answer a marketing question. So um, as you can tell with my stuttering, stuttering, stuttering and stammering, in our current business, what we do um, is we uh, look, I'm also somewhat lucky. I sort of stuck my face on TV about five or six years ago. And, and you know, it, it tends to generate a little bit of traction and traffic at the same time. So um, we, we use that natural advantage in order to, to hold events. And we've done a lot of virtual events, I suppose. Mm-hmm. So we get access to a lot of people. We, we've had, um, I've had a couple of good exits over the way. So, you know, our product is actually, at least at face value, seems like it's a pretty good product to want to participate in. Um, we know largely where a lot of our customers hang around, for want of a better term, you know, hang around in the virtual sense more than anything else. So, um, but, you know, in marketing sense, we do a lot of LinkedIn, um, you know, so we're looking at, looking at more specifically a lot of LinkedIn we have, we have large databases we've built over time that we are, you know, we send out, we're just sending out a monthly mail now, for example, we just approved it before. So, yeah. um, and then, yeah, through that, then we, we, we use a CRM and we, we, yeah, we, we funnel that traffic flow and those responses through the CRM to understand what works. We understand the cost. You know, we did an investor dinner last week or two weeks ago, and that was like, I think people time was about 15 grand, I want to say. And then we got about, I was about 60 leads out of it, I think. I'm, I'm looking at all the conversions. The conversion is, you know, is, it's, it has, well, hasn't been enough time for conversion yet, so it doesn't really matter because it takes a little bit of time to convert. Yeah. So, you know, we, we track that. We track what it, what it costs. We have to understand where we're going to spend our money. It's really quite important. Yeah, 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 definitely. And that, that goes to really tracking everything, measuring it, seeing where to invest more, where to invest less. So that's 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 good. So when you, you know, you're at a, you're at a level where, you know, you're one of the top entrepreneurs in this country, what is it that really drives you at that level, right? It's, it's, it's obviously more than money, but what is it that, that, that inspires you? What is it that, that really keeps you going, Steve? Um, I've got the best job in the world. Um, we see around about 700, 800 businesses every year we get a lot more pitch decks than that but they're the ones that we you know that, that, that pertain to our business um i've got a team of you know it's 11 including me um we look at uh, I, i'm on the second stage of investment committee so i probably see around about oh, 20 a month about 240 of those i suppose i'd see per year um we get to hear people's dreams and aspirations and we get to like their businesses we get to hear what they want to do with the world and we get to back the ones that we really like and, and fund them to their success we have the best job in the world. We literally make dreams come true. They're pretty slow-moving dreams, right? <laughs> to be honest, it's, sort of, it's not like you see on these crazy TV shows where someone goes, "I'm in," after you know an eight-minute pitch. Um, you know, we can take, we can be in, in, in from the, from discovery until investment can be got easily six months. Really, really fast ones are a couple of weeks. Um, but you know, we just did one recently closed, which I met the chap in. I was in Perth. This is Perth was being shut down from COVID in twenty. So it was that February twenty? 
might be March mm. 20 now, think about it. So, um, and we finally did the investment, you know, probably sort of 14 months later. So, um, you know, a lot of it's you, you meet, you know, okay, not ready to invest. Okay, you haven't quite got the numbers I want. So you go forward to that and you come back, oh, look, you've done better. Okay, you spent that last of my money well. We'll look at investing you now. So, and then, you know, once you actually agree to invest, then there's a whole process of, of, of conducting further due diligence and then, and then um, executing the deal, which can be, you know, it's definitely weeks, if not many months as well. So it's a very slow moving dream that we, and, and then you have the, then you have to go out and spend it. You have to go out and, and actually action your plan and, 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 and succeed. So very slow moving dream, but we get to, we, you know, we buy into your dream. And um, you know, as soon as we invest in you, we work for you. You don't work for us. We see a lot of really shitty attitudes with investors out there where as soon as they've invested in this is, there's, there's sometimes there's malice in this, but a lot of times there's just a lack of thought. Um, they honestly think they've got these people on tap and they can ring them up and because they've invested that there's something special in their life. It's no, no, it's the wrong way around, right? You, 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 you're actually working for those people. If you want that money to work for you, you now work for that company. So yeah. um, that's, that's really important. I love that. And so planning is, is, a, is an important part of, of everybody's life if they want to be successful. What are the, for you, what, what is the hallmark of a good plan? What are the ingredients that need to, you know, like with a brisket, you've got to, you know, low and slow, long time, you know, you want some moisture in there. What, what are the things for a plan that, that need to be in there? Um, it needs to be written in pencil so you can rub it out. No plan ever survives contact with the customer. We used to say in the army, no, no battle plan ever, ever survives contact with the enemy. Um, so don't get, don't fall in love with your plan because as soon as you go out there and you test it, it's like, yeah, that's not going to work, is it? I better do something else. Or you can be a fool. You can say, no, no, this is my plan. I'm going to keep doing it until I go to the wall. So plans should be written in pencil. Um, be prepared to change them. Go in with a plan and you need to actually base your progress against something. So you do need a plan. Just don't fall in love with it. Um, it will probably change. It'll be shocked if it doesn't, to be honest. So um, um, otherwise, um, it, because we, we deal with such a wide field, you know, if you were just in medical or just in software or just in listed, wherever it might be, then there's a different answer. There's there's eight, there's an answer. Whereas we're we're sort of a little everywhere. So, um, so elements you want to see in a plan um, will be in general. I think it's it's how you're going to execute and how you're going to structure the company for success. So we talked before about a lot of the the, the sales team that have this very defined pipeline where they have like people who farm the leads and people who then work on the leads, et cetera, et cetera. So um, understanding how you're going to not just you know, spend the money, but how, how are you going to understand the value you got for the cash? So, okay, so you're going to do this and how are you going to measure that? And what do you expect out of that? So, so you know that, you know, so when, how do you know your plan's failing? So you can spend a whole bunch of money and not understand mm -hmm. your plan's failing. So, um, uh, yeah, I mean, what you said, what do you want to see in a plan is like lots. We want to see success. You know, what drives me nuts? People sort of come to me and say, you know, and this and this could all blow up and you could all lose your money. Like, well, we sort of know that, but don't come to me pre-armed with an excuse for your failure, right? Mm -hmm. If you know what I mean. So it's like I see a lot of people out there who pitch not-for-profit businesses and I, I can guarantee you nine times, 99, nine times out of 10, I can guarantee they're going to be female. They come to you with a not-for-profit business, right? Excuse me, it drives me bloody insane because there's some really good people there and it's like they're preloaded with an excuse to fail. Like, you can't have a go at me because if it fails. Well, I was trying to do some good in the community anyway. <laughs> the world's best um, social entrepreneur is a guy called Bill Gates. You know, he's a bit on the, he's a bit on the nose nowadays. But, you know, he made a lot of money. He uh, and He's out there trying to cure a bunch of diseases and, you know, 
the do good and you know apparently he's trying to put 5g in people's brains what a, what a load of shit that is but um <laughs> so you, you do good by you, you, you do good by being successful so mm. you know I'm, I'm a i'm a believer in that you're either a business or you're a charity don't try and be both so yeah. um if you want to run a really good charity get really rich and fund the charity don't try and be both because having a successful business is such such a hard thing to do and if you're going to yeah. if you're going to preload that with a whole bunch of other shit like social and all the rest of it then oh, you just make your life harder now that's not saying that you should have a business that you know sort of you know makes landmines or sarin gas or something like that you should have a good honest business but have a business make money for yourself make money for your shoulders employ more people because that's such a community good employing people is about the best thing Absolutely. you can do in life and then take those excess funds and go right now i'm going to go qr whatever or I'm going to do this or homelessness and all these great causes out there, but please don't, don't do both at once. Yeah. Or you got the new buzzword now, which is profit for purpose, which I also don't like because the person usually ends up spending more time talking about the purpose than the profit, but you've got to get the profit in order to be successful to fund whatever you want to do that makes an impact. And it is, and I've seen, I've seen that, that many, and my comment before about females, it's typically through startup weekends and other bits and pieces and these entrepreneurial competitions. But you, you, you will see it. It is just, I went to a um, school uh, not long ago, just a local school in my area here. And it was, I think it was six in the finals. There was five teams that were all young girls. at grade nine and stuff. But they were all um, not-for-profit stuff, helping homeless and all the rest of it. And I'm just like, oh, wow. You know, it, which is great. You know, it's got the empathy and all the rest of it. I'm not looking that, but it, 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 so a, they, they, they seem to, I'm starting, and it wasn't actually me, it was actually the, the lady, a lady called Peter Ellis who ran Rebecca Labs for me. She's my general manager there. And, and we were talking about doing this, this not-for-profit thing. She goes, no, I hate it. There'll be nothing but female. I said, what? Isn't that good? <laughs> type thing. She goes, no. She said, look at, you look at these things and this is probably about halfway through running it. She said, every one of these things, if you look at the one doing, the, the one that's not commercially aggressive, it'll be, it'll be, uh, it'll be all female or mostly female. And I didn't, I thought, Oh my God, look at that. And you occasionally get one that's not, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying all, I'm saying most, right? So before people yeah. start hurling shit at me. So, um, but it's, you come preloaded with an excuse to fail. But no, fuck that. You're going to have a business, you're going to succeed. There's no excuse for it. You know, if, if it's like, if you think you're not going to get a hard time because you're at the same time you're trying to do cancer or you wanted to fund a homeless person, I don't know, whatever it is. No, don't do that. Do that with the excess profits after you've handed them back to shareholders. Yeah, absolutely. That is. All right, I, so I, I, do, I do have a call to get to as well on, on, on the hour, so I better, I better do that one as well. Yeah, we'll wrap up now. Thank you so much for your time, Steve. Really appreciate it. And uh, thank you to all our listeners for watching. We can see you next time on Business Titans. Thank you. One sec.